0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our walk through the Lord's Prayer this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking primarily at verse 11. But as we've done each week, I will read it. Again, this is not for mindless repetition's sake, this is for formation and meditation. As we hear these words over and over, I hope each week, there's past sermons that are coming to mind. You're, these phrases are suddenly getting fuller and deeper and richer as we hear these words. So, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well this morning let me share as we begin something that I read this week as I was preparing and studying came across this quote just really encouraged me. I say that with tongue firmly in cheek, twinkle in my eye. It's from one of my heroes, the Welsh pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said this, Any man who attempts to preach on the Lord's Prayer must surely find himself in great difficulties. That's a great way to start your week of study, i tell you. He says, There is a sense in which it is almost presumptuous ...to preach on it at all. One should simply repeat these phrases... ...and consider them from the heart. For they themselves say everything. And the more I study this prayer, he says... ...the more I believe that if only one used these phrases... ...as our Lord intended them to be used... ...there's really nothing more to be said. But, he goes on... ...on the other hand... ...we are all frail and fallible... We are sinful creatures, and the result is that we need to have these things analyzed and enforced. And I think he's spot on here in what he says. On one hand, this prayer is so rich and so full that it can feel like, how can we say anything more than what's already there? Like, that's what we want to get across. And yet, because you and I are frail and fallible, we need to press in. We need to look closer and to ponder What is it we're saying when we say those words? So this morning we come to the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And this is a perfect passage for us to slow down and really chew on as we come to Thanksgiving. Because on Thursday we pause to give thanks, right? It's the whole, it's in the name. That's what we do. And this prayer actually helps us see what we're giving thanks for and who we're giving thanks to. This prayer is the perfect complement to Thanksgiving. I mean, they go together. It's it's like the gravy to the mashed potatoes. It's like the whipped cream to the pumpkin pie. Well, I don't want to feed your appetites too much here, so I'm just going to stop there. But you get the idea. They go together well. And speaking of food, this part of the Lord's Prayer is actually a feast. It's a feast meant to feed our thankfulness. So this morning, we're going to get our hearts ready for Thanksgiving. And to do that, we're going to look at four dishes from this feast. This feast of this line of the prayer that they all work together to feed our souls. And just like eating dessert first, we're going to work our way backward through these four parts of verse 11. So here's the four dishes we're going to look at this morning. Dish one bread. What do we mean when we're asking for bread? Dish two, what do we mean by daily bread? Dish three, what are those words us and our communicate to us about the prayer? And dish four, give. Give. Why is that a precious word? So those are the four dishes we're going to look at one at a time, because here's the thing about Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving is one of my favorites, and I take it pretty seriously. And you miss out if you just scarf it down as fast as possible. No, you you need to slow down, and you need to taste each dish. And it's the same thing with the Lord's Prayer. It's not something we just race through to get it done with. Okay, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be there. Like, that is, you miss it. Nobody sits down to Thanksgiving and just like, all right, we're done. No, so you wait all day, and you come to it, and you're like, okay, okay, let me try this. Oh, that's so good. Mm, let me just take a break. Let's chew that up a little bit. Let, it, let the flavor soak in. And so this morning, as we come to this line of the prayer, we don't just want to wolf it down and get it over with and say, okay, we got that line done. Check. And we want to savor each word and each bite, and we want to taste God's goodness in each part of this request. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, before we dig into those four dishes, let me point out what's going on at this point in the prayer, because we've, we've come to the transition that I've told us about. Week one, we looked at the address, who it is we pray to. In the last three weeks, we looked at three requests focused on God's glory. But now the prayer shifts. You can see it right there in the words. There's your, 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 and all of a sudden, er, our the rest of the way so clearly there's something new going on here now it's our needs that come into view and there's an intentional flow here we're meant to see that our first priority even above our needs is that god's name is hallowed his kingdom comes and his will is done that's our first and greatest desire of every disciple but then we ask for the things we need in order to live a life focused on those things and I want to pull out two quick principles from this structure. First, it's not wrong to pray for physical needs. Some of us can be tempted to over spiritualize life and think that physical needs are beneath what we should ask God for. Yes, pray for His glory, pray for His kingdom, pray for His will, but I mean, don't ask Him for the mundane, daily, everyday things. That's just kind of not spiritual enough. And yet, Jesus tells us to ask for those things so number one pray for physical needs but second notice that they're not the only nor the main concern of our prayers so consider your own prayer life for a moment do you find yourself praying to god only for daily needs for your health for your finances situations at work We ought to pray for those. Hear me. We ought to pray for those, but not only or even mainly for those things. So do our prayers reflect the priority that Jesus gives us here? God's glory and kingdom first, then our needs. So as we come to the second half of the prayer, the three requests for ourselves, starting at Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread, the next three requests can be summed up in three words. I'll, I'll come back to these each week, but to make it easy to remember, they all start with the same letter. What we ask God for is provision, for pardon, and preservation. Provide for us, pardon us, and preserve us. And we're going to come back to that each week. So now let's dig into our first dish in this Feast of a Verse. Let's talk about bread. What is it that we're praying for when we pray for bread? I mean, do you ever stop and think about this? Are we really asking God for a loaf of whole grain? Like is, if he, God did that and every morning you opened your door and there's a loaf of bread, would you be like, I knew he would do it. I knew it. Here's a question I, I really wrestled with. Can you pray this prayer if you're gluten-free? Stop and think about that for a second. I'm just kidding, people. That's, some of you are really pondering it. Do you pray... Or what do we mean when we pray for bread? Like most of us don't think, that's not on my prayer list, that's on my grocery list. Well, here's what it means. Throughout most of history, including the time when Jesus spoke these words, bread was the foundational staple of the diet. So it was the most basic need one could have. And often people talked about it and it stood as a symbol for all of our essential needs. And we still use bread as a symbol, not as much as we used to, for instance, what do you call the person in the family who has the highest income? The breadwinner. Now, we know that that person doesn't actually bring home fresh-baked dough, at least not most of them. We mean they provide the family with what they need to get by. That's the idea, that bread carries that symbol, that connotation. And that's what we're talking about here, too. So our bread is our basic needs, that we require in order to live the life God has called us to. We're not asking for everything on our Christmas list or everything on our Amazon wish list. We're asking God to give us what we truly need. I love how Agur, we all know famous Agur from Proverbs 30, says this. He prays and he asks God to listen to these words. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And he goes on and says, why? He says, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agar knows his heart. He knows that if he gets too much, he'll think, I don't need God. God didn't give this to me. I got all this stuff. I'm fine without God. And he knows that if he has too little... Well, then he's going to be tempted to do wrong things to try to get more and end up dishonoring God. And our hearts are the same way as his. We don't do well with too much or with too little. So what do we do? We ask God to give us our bread, what we truly need. And here's the great thing about that. God knows what we truly need. In fact, look up in your Bibles right before this prayer Right before, what, comes, what comes immediately before Jesus teaches us to pray this way? Jesus says, look, you don't have to pile up lots of fancy, meaningless words when you pray. Why? Matthew 6, 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? In fact, a little bit later in chapter 6, if you scan your eyes down, as Jesus is teaching us that we don't need to be anxious, why does He say you don't need to be anxious? Chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. Friends, God knows what you need right now. And it's not just some generic one-size-fits-all formula. He knows what people need. He knows what you need. At your age, in your circumstance, with your struggles, your circumstances, your, your challenges, your personality, your family, your job. He knows what you need. This is amazing. And he'll never give you one tiny bit less than you require. Wow. Hear it from his word. Don't take my word for it. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 23 1, you're probably familiar with. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Want means lack. He said, Because God is my shepherd, I'm not lacking anything. You say, Well, that's Old Testament, Dan. Okay, let's go New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul's trying to cut off. He's like, there's no loopholes. All sufficiency, all things, all times. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, I don't know what else falls outside those categories. Life and godliness. He says he's given it. Oh, friends, how this should encourage our prayers that God knows exactly what we need. He knows when to give us more than we ask. Do you know that? Sometimes we ask and we think, God, I need this. And he says, I'm not just going to give you what you asked for. You actually need this. You don't know it. And he knows when to give us more than we ask. And He knows when to scale back what we ask for for our own good. And he'll always provide exactly what is needed so that we lack nothing and have all sufficiency. That's what we're asking him to give us when we ask for bread. So let's think together of one application of this. If this is true, shouldn't we be the most content people in the world? Because we know we have all of our needs met no matter what our circumstances might say. In fact, here's a really good test for us. If you pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. After you pray that prayer, do you actually believe that what comes to you is God's answer? Do you believe that what he puts in your life that day is your daily bread? Or do you see each day as Oh, God didn't answer. I must not have gotten what I needed. Or do you trust that he says, I will. It may not match up to what you think you need today, but I will give you your daily bread. Will you be content no matter your situation? You say, well, how can we possibly do that? you know there's some really hard situations? Well, the apostle Paul knew the answer. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No matter what that day held for him, Paul looked at his life and knew that because he was in Christ, his father was giving him his daily bread. He had all that he needed because he had Christ So Paul was able to rest content. Why? Because he knew that the father who knew his needs would never fail to give him anything he needed. And we can rest content in the same truth. Okay, so that's what we mean by bread. We mean our basic needs. But why does Paul not just say bread, but daily bread? What's the daily part all about? Well, to answer that, let's take a field trip back to Exodus 16. Let me set the scene for you. God has delivered his people from slavery through the blood of the lamb and the death of the firstborn. They're now less than two months, keep that in mind, less than two months from leaving the banks of the Red Sea where God had triumphed over their enemies. They are finally free and we we forget this, for the first time in their lives, none of them had ever experienced freedom. For the first time in their lives, they are free. And their greatest fear, the thing that would terrify them, what they probably told tales about, those wicked Egyptians, their oppressors, their, their masters, their overlords, they all lay dead in the sea. So what do you think life was like here? I mean, is there two months out of that, right? Like, What awesome times this would have been. What would they have been doing every day? I mean, probably like all day worship sessions. I mean, every day would be Thanksgiving, right? Like, we're free. Our enemies are dead. We're on our way to the promised land. This is so good. Let's see what they did. Exodus 16, 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Whether they will walk in my law or not. So, even though God had rescued them, even though God had set them free and shown them his goodness and his power, they still grumbled. They didn't trust that the same God who had provided a deliverer for them would now provide bread for them. So, notice what God does He promises to provide, even supernaturally, right? He doesn't just say, if you turn the corner, you'll walk right into a Kroger, and they'll have all the bread you need. He's he's providing bread where there is no bread. But he's not going to do it all at once. Did you catch that? God's provision comes in installments, not in a lump sum. Each day, he was going to give them what they needed for that day. They would always get exactly what they needed. Listen to how Exodus 16 describes it. Verse 17, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. So they didn't all get the same amount. There wasn't like this uniform ration that says everybody gets X amount of bread. They got different amounts, but nobody had too much. And nobody had too little. They all had exactly what they needed. And why did God provide it each day in installments? Did you catch that in the text? He said he'd provide a day's portion every day. That purpose, I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. If God had just given them all they needed for the rest of their journey at once, they wouldn't need to show their daily trust in his goodness would be like, thanks God, we're so grateful, we've got what we need now, we'll take it from here. But this way, with daily bread, every night his people went to sleep not having their food for the next day in their hands. They had to go to sleep trusting that the next morning their provider God would have new mercies waiting on them. This kept them dependent on the Lord. And when we pray and ask the Father to give us our daily bread, it's meant to have the same effect on us we're asking him to give us what we need for today not what we'll need thursday not what we'll need next week not what we'll need 20 years down the road but what we'll need today friends as i thought about this part of why we may not have all we ask god for is because it's not part of our daily bread god knows we don't need it today We might feel like we need it today. We might often feel like, God, I do need that today. We may really, 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 really want it today. But if we needed it today, our Father would give it today. You've probably heard the famous story about Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch Christian girl whose family hid Jews during World War II. And when she was afraid of not having what was required at some point in her life, her father sat her down and he asked her this really wise question. He said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam on the train, when do I give you your ticket? She thought about it and through her, she was worked up and through her tears, she says, well, just, just before we get on the train. And her father said, exactly. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. So just like that, she says the father held on to what he had. Her ticket the whole time. It wasn't that there was ever any doubt that she would have what she needed, but he didn't give it to her until it was required, when she needed to present the ticket to get on train. He says that's when I give it to you, and she totally got it. And he says that's the way our heavenly father is. He has what we need, and he'll give it when it's required. And this prayer reminds us of that same thing. Our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things. So don't run out ahead of him. Instead, trust him. Trust his promises. Trust his goodness and his provision. Trust his wisdom and his love for you. That's why we sing songs, how sure, how sweet, how strong, oh, how vast his love for us. And when we trust him to give us what we need, when we need it, then we can pray in faith, Father, give us this day our daily bread. That's our second dish. That was pretty delicious. Now let's move on to our third dish of our feast. We've already tasted God's goodness in his giving us our bread, the things we need. And we've tasted his goodness in giving it to us day after day, truly our daily bread. But now there's one part that often gets overlooked in this verse. It's the words us and our. Give us our daily bread. And I'm going to say it every week. This prayer is not merely a private, personal prayer. It's a corporate, family, kingdom prayer. It's the prayer of God's people for God's people. So in this line, we're reminded that when we pray, we're not only asking God to meet our individual needs. We're also asking him to meet our needs. Yes, I'm praying for my needs to be met, but I'm also praying for your needs and your needs and your needs and your needs. We are called to care for each other in this line of the prayer, to be aware of and concerned for each other's well-being. And this is so helpful, I think, because it keeps us from becoming what some people call navel gazers, right? If you picture someone gazing at their navel, like all their attention is on themselves. This is all I see is what's going on in my life. I'm so focused on me that I don't see what's going on around me. But instead, this prayer calls us to lift our eyes to those around us and pray for their needs as well. And this is so helpful because isn't it so easy to lose sight of each other's needs, we can we can go either direction. When we have everything we need, we can forget that not everybody does. When life is easy and smooth, and we like I said, there's we're not lacking anything. It's like oh okay, I assume that's the way everybody's feeling right now, and so I don't stop and pray for everyone else's needs. Or on the other hand, if we're the ones in need, we can become so self-focused that we forget, hey, we're not the only ones who are in need but when we pray give us this day our daily bread we're taking the focus off ourselves alone and asking the father to meet the needs of his whole family yes god meet my needs today but meet my brothers and sisters needs too actually god expects more out of us than simply caring about each other's needs James 2.15 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, interesting phrase, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? In other words, our care is meant to prompt us to action. And one way that God answers answers his people's prayer, give us this day our daily bread is through his people. We pray, give us collectively our daily bread, and then he works in the hearts of his people to distribute what is needed to others. And here's the thing, if we're called to care enough to give to our brothers and sisters in need, how much more are we called to pray for our brothers and sisters in need? So here's what I want to walk away from this, is that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, I want us to remember that we're praying for one another. And I want you to be encouraged. This all this, oh, thrilled me when I thought of this this week, that whenever God's people pray that prayer, when this prayer is prayed, do you realize what's happening? Is that Christians all over the world are praying that your needs would be met today. People you don't know, People here in these pews, people on the other side of town, and people on the other side of the world are praying the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. means they're praying for the people in this room. God, equip them. Give them all that they need today. So one of my hopes is that when we pray this, it's not only our needs that flash before our eyes. As you're praying, there's usually things that pop into your mind as you're linking these ideas with sentences. And I pray that when you hear the words, give us this day our daily bread, it's not just your needs that come flashing past, but it's faces around you. I pray that it's these faces, and faces of people you don't know, the world over, that come flooding into your mind as you say, God, give us this day our daily bread. That brings us to the last dish in our feast. Just like dessert is the sweetest part of the meal, I think this part of the prayer might just be the sweetest. The last part of verse 11 I want to look at is that first word, give. Give, what a precious word. And here's why that word is so sweet. Because asking God to give us what we need reminds us that all his provision is a gift. We don't earn our daily bread from God. God is not paying us what we're owed. We haven't lived well enough to deserve our daily bread. Instead, God is our generous and kind Father, gladly giving us, giving us what we need. And when we ask God to give us our daily bread, we're acknowledging a few glorious truths. Here's here's what comes to mind. When we say give us our daily bread, we're acknowledging, first of all, I have daily needs. We have daily needs. And on top of that, we don't have enough and can't do enough to meet them on our own. I wouldn't need to ask God to give if I had it already. By praying this, I'm saying, God, I have needs and can't meet them apart from you. My brothers and sisters have needs and can't meet them apart from you. Every single day, God made us so that we get hungry. You notice that? We need to eat every day. And the rumble in our stomachs when we get hungry is meant to remind us, hey, you're needy. You have needs today, and you depend on God to meet them. That's not just a physiological thing going on. That's a theological thing happening when your stomach rumbles. So if it's awkward sometimes, and your stomach gurgles in the middle of a meeting, and people look at you funny, just be like, I'm just praising the Lord. I need him today. <laughs> Try it. See what happens. I've never done it, but I'm curious to hear your stories. But that's what God is doing. He's saying, like, you need me. I built you so that you have reminders. But the second thing it reminds us is not just that we need him. It reminds us that God has everything at his disposal to give to us. We don't ask. You don't walk up to a beggar on the street and be like, hey, buddy, do you got 20 bucks I can bum? Like, why? Because you, you assume he doesn't have it. But we go to people that we think have it, and not just have enough, but have a surplus that they're willing and able to give. Well, God says in Psalm 50 if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He says it's all mine, it belongs to me, so I can give you whatever you need. Third, when we pray for God to give our daily bread, we're reminded that we are bankrupt and poor. We have nothing to earn or deserve or pay for what God gives. Like this is not walking up to the counter and saying, give me one of those and then you pay for it. This is the beggar on the street saying, please give me. I have nothing to give you in exchange or in return. I'm simply asking for grace. I can't pay for it. I can't afford what you're about to give me. But the good news of the gospel is that God gives us what we need free of charge. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God invites us with that language, saying you can't afford it, you got no money, but you can come to the finest feasts you can imagine. Where your soul will be satisfied and your needs will be met. He's telling us that everything we have is a gift from God. He gives it. Oh, I just want you to have that word ringing in your heart this week. Gives. He gives without money, without merit. It's all grace. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Your family, your friends, your job, your home, your health, your skills, your possessions, your bank account, the breath in your lungs, the blood in your veins, the knowledge in your mind, and the faith in your heart are all a gift from God. James one seventeen says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Friends, He is telling us that our Father is a giving God. He gives and gives and gives. And nowhere do we see the giving heart of God more than in the gospel. There we see how our Father met our greatest need of all. While we were still faithless and rebellious, God gave us His Son. We stood guilty, condemned by our sin, and facing a debt that we had no ability to repay. We needed forgiveness. We needed pardon. We needed cleansing. But we had nothing and could do nothing to ever get it. Our souls were hungry and starving. We needed bread. So God gave it to us in his Son. Jesus said in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm what has been given to meet your deepest need. He gave himself. He paid for our sin. He took away the curse of death. He gave us eternal life. He reconciled us back to the Father. Every single day we need him, and every day he is himself our daily bread. Our hungry souls are satisfied only when we feast on him only when we look to him to meet all our needs and supply all that is good and bring us safely to his kingdom. And God gives all of that. He gives it. Do you understand if you're here and you're just checking out Christianity, you don't got to sign up for anything. You don't got to get put on an emailing list. You don't got to pay any money. You don't got to stand in line. He gives it. It's a gift of grace to be received by faith. Just trust him trust that he is good trust that he's able to provide trust that he will provide after all we have the glorious logic of romans eight thirty two. oh this is one of my favorite verses there paul writes he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not with him graciously give us all things i love the logic of the gospel He says, I showed you my willingness to give. I gave you the best, the highest, the most precious. And you don't think I'm going to give you that little thing you asked for? God gave you his son, his treasure, his beloved, the bread of life. How could we think he won't also give us our daily bread? And on top of that, we have his promises. Jeremiah 32, 40. God himself says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing them good. Friends, he won't stop doing good to you. He won't. He won't ever quit giving good to us. And it says he'll rejoice in doing it. He's not just, I got to keep my word. He's like, I love to give. In fact, Luke 12, 32 reminds us, it says, fear not, little flock, Why don't you need to be afraid? For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's saying, I love giving to you. You don't gotta work for my kingdom. You don't gotta earn my kingdom. I just love giving it to you. And all of this, all of his giving should have one powerful effect on us. It should make us thankful. Thankful that we have such a father. Thankful that He wants us to ask Him for what we need. Thankful that He's promised to daily give it to us with mercies that are new every morning. Daily bread, every morning mercies. Thankful that all of it is given to us as a gift we don't deserve. So Chapelwood, let's pray with deeper trust in God's willingness to supply what we lack and with greater thankfulness that all we have needed His hand has provided. Great is His faithfulness. Would you pray with me? We'll transition into the Lord's prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning. Lord, would you open our eyes to even see how much we've been given in Christ? Lord, you tell us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, would you open our hearts to understand more the fullness of that? God, unlock the depths of that truth. Show us what we have in Christ. Help us to rejoice in it. And God, this week, I pray that we wouldn't wait till Thursday to to give a token measure of thanks and say one thing we're thankful for. I pray that our hearts would spill over every day, everywhere, and every conversation with gratitude to our giving God. That like Lewis said, we wouldn't just see the sun and feel the warmth, but we would trace the sunbeam back up to the source, and then we would erupt in worship. We would see the gifts as a sign of the love of the giver. Help us not to make idols out of the gifts, but let them be fuel for our worship of you, the giver, this week. God, we thank you. We thank you, and we praise you as our faithful Father. And now we pray as your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, Amen.